welcome back to Grid Iron Gamble, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and I'm joined by one member of the collective, Donnie D.P. Peters. We started out of the gate kind of slow, 2-2-1 two, two, and one for the collective, and a very, very fortunate push last night. I would be remiss if I buried the lead and didn't start with Chargers Broncos. Uh, on the show today, we'll take a look at the collective record, the five games that we picked, the Super Contest as a whole, how many people are 5-0, and oh, what the average record was, how the defending champ, Coffee Maker, fared in week one with his two entries, and just an early peek at some of the lines for week two. But let's start with the miracle push last night for us by the Los Angeles Superchargers. We got kind of jobbed early, dropped pick six on the second drive of the game. Trevor Simeon, a really poor throw to the left-hand side, which was just dropped by the cornerback. But 24-7 to DP, Brett went to bed, or at least told us he was going to bed. We had no shot, right? At 24-7, sorry, 24-7, no shot to, to even compete in this game. I mean, I felt like I was I was staying the most positive throughout the game. Even at 21-7, I was like, you know, I mean, Mo was in the Skype chat just being standard emo, you know, complaining, whining and crying about how this is horrible. We should have never bet on this team. They're so bad, all this sort of stuff. Also about the Broncos playing absolutely world-class out of their minds, best game they've ever played. And, you know, and this is when we had, what, a quarter and a half left to play, so there was plenty of time left to go. But then once it hit 24-7, to and just watching some of the Chargers drives and the offensive plays that they were calling, you know, it it just didn't look good at all. And I started to write it off as well. Standard Mo, we lose the coin toss and Mo is negative. It's un it's unbearable. You guys should. Oh, see. it started right at the beginning when I don't even remember what happened, but uh, even before that pick six, uh, he just he was he was all in on the fact that we were just going to lose this game. So we had no we had no business in this game. Brandon McManus closes the third quarter with a chippy twenty yard field goal to make it twenty four to seven. We're already looking at two and three. Got to bounce back next week. Try to get a three and two, maybe a four and one. Five and zero oh would be great. And then <laughs> shit just gets weird. Uh, the char the Chargers get away with an absolute mugging on an interception. <laughs> I, I I don't understand how that's a non call. There's some really touchy calls. In this game, and on this particular play, it's a screen pass or a swing pass to the left. The back just gets tackled. <laughs> it's tackled while the ball's in the air. It kicks off the defender's foot, who is a mid-defensive uh, mid pass interference. Bounces right to our guy. We get the get the pick six. Keenan Allen scores a few minutes later. And then Keenan Allen with the taunt. DP, how does he taunt after scoring a touchdown on their down 10? I have no, I mean, listen, it was a very subtle taunt. I don't think that it should have been called, but that's the NFL these days. They look for any sort of little thing like that, little ticky tack stuff, you know, the extracurricular activities, if you want to call them that. You know, he he stopped on a dime, he threw the ball down, you know, kind of towards the, the defender's feet. He, you could clearly see that he was yelling something. So, and then I just want to go back to that, that interception. So, at, in the time, they reviewed it, right? And I didn't think that they – I thought it was clear. Clear as day that it was an interception. I didn't think it hit the ground at all, that sort of thing. I actually think that 
whoever so whoever in New York is watching the games because they're the ones that ultimately make the call this year on the replays. I think that they were going to try and find some way to overturn it because it was such a blatant <laughs> pass interference. <laughs> And they needed to be like, listen, guys, we got we got to review this and see if it hit the ground in the slightest because that was that was absurd. It, I mean, the guy went over his back. He had his left arm on his shoulder. He turned him. It was it was pass interference to a T. That's the that's the play you would show the refs in their training of what pass interference is. Yeah, a mugging at the very least. Uh, win probability, by the way, I've got the graph here on ESPN. And once that field goal went through the uprights, win probability was ninety eight. for the Broncos. So we get that touchdown by Keenan Allen. And despite the 15-yard penalty that is uh, assessed on the kickoff, Young Hoku, rookie kicker for the Chargers, booms the ball to the three-yard line. Uh, Great defensive stand by the Chargers, which ends with a fumble by Jamal Charles. (laughs) Fumble is picked up by the Chargers defense. Very first play. Travis Benjamin, 38 yards on a beautiful post route to the left-hand side. Great delivery by Rivers. I love the aggressiveness of the call post-turnover. They go right for the jugular, and they score. And all of a sudden, we're pushing. But then, the Broncos walk right down the field. Right down the field. Uh, A big play down the seam. Safety got totally lost. Simeon throws a good ball. And Brandon McManus is in chip shot position, DP. Again, no chance for covering. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, it's like they brought us back in just to punch us a few more times and kick us back out the door. And that's how we felt. It was just that constant, like, we're going to blow you up enough just to deflate you one more time and, and watch, you know, the misery happen. And there was there was 667 teams in the Super Contest that bet on uh, the Chargers plus three here. And if you guys think Twitter is fun, you should go into the subculture of Super Contest Twitter because it's absolutely great. It was blowing up last night. People were on the same uh, the same bandwidth as Rich and I. Just, you know, we were in, we were out, then we were out for a while, we were way out, and then we got sucked back in by miracles, and then we were back out, and then we're back. It was it was all over the place, right? So, so yeah, I mean, this point, you know, I thought, okay, we really don't have any time. Chargers offense doesn't look like they're doing anything special, so well, we this missed, is it. Well, the kick, too. So Virgil Green catches the 44-yarder. Pa- uh, roughing the passer is called. So in the blink of an eye, the Broncos go 59 yards. Brandon McManus sets up for a chippy. Uh, I guess not a chippy, a 50-yarder, but for him at altitude, that's almost a gimme, and he pushes it wide right. Two sacks, by the way, right before the field goal, which is just hilariously bad by the Denver offense. And then, yeah, classic Phillip Rivers gets the ball. I mean, at least they have one timeout, uh, which they have to use. And then it's a total shit show. Like, we need the Benny Hill music for for the Chargers before that fourth down play. They had no idea what they wanted to do. Anthony Lynn is on the sideline just pointing first down instead of leading his team he's just pointing with his arm that it's a first down not saying anything the offense is a mess they don't get to the ball uh but luckily they were able to get a first down move the ball they get within striking distance for young hoku he gets iced while making his kick and then following that his kick gets partially blocked by the denver defensive line we hold on for a push denver holds on for the win and we end the week two two and one 
in the contest. Where, where do you stand on icing the kicker? It, to me, it's one of those things where you're a genius when it works, you're an idiot when it doesn't. Uh, I don't. It's kind of. I don't even know if it should be allowed. Either it's kind of it's kind of a weird rule. I definitely think it's a weird rule. Um, I don't. I mean, I think kickers are weak mentally, and they just can't handle it for whatever reason. It shouldn't really do anything to them, um, but it does, and that's why people keep doing it. I, I mean, I feel like it's expected now. I mean, I, I don't know. It, you seem like every time you know they're always showing the camera, the coach on the sidelines, and everyone's expecting that it's going to happen. And you have the coaches playing mind games with the referees, seeing how close they can call it to the actual snap being had, and. Because it's so expected, I almost think that you should lean to not, you know, just kind of stand there next to the ref like you're going to do it, get in the kicker's head, but don't actually do it. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think at the end of the day, it shouldn't do anything, um, but it always seems to. Uh, In this case, I don't think that uh, that coup was iced at all. That kick was going in if his offensive line just blocked, you know, there was, there was, the guy that blocked it was in the in the backfield behind the center, but there was, there was three other guys that were also kind of right there. So the the blocking was not good at all. I mean, if that didn't get blocked, that kick was in, and we're looking at overtime. I wonder if and this might be next level shit. I wonder if if you know you're gonna ice the kicker, if you almost put a goon squad on the defensive line on the first play, and you just like you just go super hard, right? Like you get some fresh bodies out there, and you just on the on the play that you know that you're icing the kicker, you just have the D line just beat up you don't even like try to block the kick you just try to like drive the guys into the ground and make them tired for the next play yeah or just jump around like a bunch of maniacs <laughs> yell you know run up to the line run back you know do all crazy sort of stuff uh and just get them all out of out of sorts right and that's all you're really trying to do the the, the more the crazier that you can seem or the more you can act out of character for what is supposed to be the norm and what's supposed to happen that's when you put people out of their element and, you know, when people are going to tend to screw things up. Miracle push. Very lucky to be 2-2-1. Two, two, and one. Let's quickly go over the other four games that we had on Sunday. The two I was most wary about, we did not get the cover in Redskins racial slurs, I should say. Plus one at home. Eagles end up winning that by 13. So let's start there. And this is, this is a, a brutal game. We watched most of this, uh, DP on Sunday on the surface you want to look at the box score and say that the Eagles ran away with this but the Redskins had so many opportunities none better than the with 12 minutes to go in the fourth quarter third and six in the red zone Kirk Cousins drops back and has Jamison Crowder wide open on a slant route nice little pick by Terrell Pryor and instead of setting his feet and making an easy throw Cousins sails it over Crowder's head, and it is picked off, and that turned that turned out to be the game. I know what people are mostly clamoring about is the phantom fumble, which was actually a forward pass scooped up by Philadelphia and returned for a touchdown. But I, I that's variance. That those type of weird things happen. I can't get over that Cousins throw. That was horrific, DP. Yeah, I mean, Kirk Cousins was the one that blew this game for me. Uh, If you're going to deny contracts and go year to year and come out of games yelling and screaming at the press, this is not the season opener that you should be having. It's just not. The defense actually played very well for the Redskins, surprisingly, because that's kind of the area that we thought, okay, 
if this goes south, it's going to be because of that Redskins defense that never seems to really get it together. They always seem to be touted as like a team that's going to take the next step, but they're never really able to get it together. And they did they did well. And then Cousins just decided to completely screw it up. And, I mean, the losses on the offense, like you said, you pointed out uh, that, that big throw uh, by Kirk Cousins throwing it over Crowder's head. That was just horrible. Uh, I believe he threw a bad pick in the game as well. And, you know, also – on the offensive staff, I, I just I don't understand this. It's just a big head scratcher for me. Why? Like, first of all, where was Samaji P. Ryan? He didn't take one offensive snap. That's that seems crazy to me. I mean, I can certainly see giving Chris Thompson some run on passing plays on third downs. I mean, he is really good in those situations, passing situations. But Fat Rob Kelly, I mean, come on. How many we watched the game together, and how many times did I have to hear you, Rich, comment that Fat Rob has no idea how to hit a hole? And then when the hole is there, he's too slow to get there. I mean, P. Ryan is better than him. The fact that you didn't even get him out there to give him a shot, a couple of snaps, get him to touch the ball, that to me is just an absolute joke. Uh, this coaching staff really needs to think about the way that they go about uh, game planning. Uh, going forward and figuring this stuff out yeah i had to have said it at least half a dozen times they would they would run you know a standard run play you know off guard left let's call it and they'd get movement the offensive line would get movement they would create space create holes and then there's fat rob thundering into the hole and i'm not saying thundering in a good way i'm saying like when a three-year-old throws a tantrum and starts ta- uh, stomping down your uh, your hallway, just angry spaghetti on their face and crying and whining. That's that's what Rob Kelly looked like hitting holes, like heels hitting the ground first. It's like man, just a little bit of burst and that three yard run turns into a seven yard run, and one broken tackle and you got a twenty yard run. It, it was infuriating to watch him get as much burn as he did, but uh, nothing is just going to get me over that that Cousins throw. And you you bring up Chris Thompson. Chris Thompson did an amazing job in blitz pickup on that play. Uh, and the, the reason why Cousins got rid of the ball quickly and poorly be, was because there was uh, two blitzers coming at him. Chris Thompson picks up one, and the other was maybe five yards, six yards in front of Cousins, and he just didn't have the stones to set his feet and make a good throw. Instead, he just babies the throw to avoid getting touched um, and sails it and throws an interception. Even even more annoying, going back and looking at the play, if the corner was doing his job uh, and bit on the slant route that Crowder was running instead of um, the first move that Crowder made, Crowder made a kind of out move and then, and then slant in, and this corner totally bit on that and was kind of backpedaling when the throw was made. If the corner made a semi-decent play, the ball just sails into the end zone. But because the corner made a mistake too, the ball sailed right into his bread basket. Uh, and we got a loss in the super contest because of it. Uh, we had two other one o'clock games that we were on. Uh, one we covered, one we did three others. Sorry. We had no f- one o'clock or four o'clock games. Uh, the one we, the other one we did not cover was my fighting New York Jets at Orchard Park against the Buffalo Bills, and we did not cover by half a point. The, the Jets, save for a red zone interception, didn't inspire very much of anything in this game. They muster 12 points with a very poor offensive performance. And the Bills, who we shit on, and rightfully so, after trading three very good pieces on their team and seemingly trying to tank the season, came out and got the job done. They won one by nine. Offense looked good. Shady looked great. Offensive line looked really good, but still very bitter that uh, 
we narrowly escaped with a joke cover by half a point, DP. Yeah, I mean, well, you can look at the fact that there was a pick six touchdown when the Jets decided to tackle their own player. That would have that would have helped us out a little bit. And then I think, you know, and, and this is another spot where I'm looking at the coaching staff. I mean, I don't understand why. The, I mean, maybe the Jets just really are all in on tanking because the fact that they were running the ball so much on early down situations is just absolutely shocking to me. So uh, I guess after watching that game, the Jets just really are, you know, trying to go 0-16. Really bad performance. I mean, this tells you all you need to know about the offense. McCown had 39 attempts for 187 yards. I mean, that is inexcusably bad from a yards per attempt basis. I will say one thing. The wide receiver corps is very, very young. Uh, they McCown relied heavily on on veterans in this game. Jermaine Curse and Will Ty had 12 targets in this game. I don't know if they've been on the team for a combined 12 days. Curse uh, just traded for from Seattle. Will Ty just signed uh, after the Giants cut them cut him when the preseason was completed. Neither guy was on the team for more than two weeks, but because they're veterans, they know the game, they have the correct body type right away to get an action, they were the ones that produced. I do think that my boy Chad Hansen is going to have a role in this team. He ran the second most routes for the Jets on Sunday. Our Darius Stewart uh, was also out there a bunch, had five targets, caught two of them for 10 yards, nearly had a sick touchdown as well. So for you DFS nuts out there, people in very deep, I don't know if you can roster him right now in, in redraft, but if you're in like a shallow dynasty and Chad Hansen is not owned, I would be certainly looking at him. Uh, with the amount of routes that he ran on Sunday. And, and the more that they learn the offense, the more involved they're going to get. But for now, with these, I mean, Will Ty and Jermaine Curse can barely make an NFL roster, let alone be the team's top receiving targets. So uh, I don't know if the, the Jets are going to be doing much covering, and we would have really stolen one here if we were able to sneak out of cover against the Bills. The game we did cover in, DP, Chicago Bears. And you were very close. You said, shock the world, Bears are going to win outright. And man, they were a Jordan Howard catch away from doing it, DP. Yeah, I mean, the Bears, uh, gosh, man, that was so close. It was, I mean, it's a combination of things, right? It's the fact that the Falcons are just going to regress immensely, right? Uh, I mean, they. I don't think that they looked good at all, especially for the first two and a half to three quarters of that game. I mean, you could definitely tell that they missed Kyle Shanahan. That's for sure. Uh, I mean, they were, you know, there was plays that they, they didn't look really organized. It, it wasn't crisp. I mean, a part of that is also, you know, you're coming off a long, or a long off season. Uh, you're dealing with that Super Bowl hangover. So you got to, you're going to take a couple weeks to get into the mix of it. Uh, but six and a half points on the road. I think too many people were just expecting the Falcons to just show up and be the Falcons of last year in the regular season when they were putting up 40, 50 points every other week and just blowing people out of the water and looking like, you know, the greatest thing uh, the earth has ever seen in terms of NFL football. But uh, Kyle Shanahan is gone. They have a tougher schedule this year. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I don't think Matt Ryan is overall that good. Uh, and I think it showed. And, and the Bears played extremely well, both on defense 
and on offense. So I was most surprised with them on the offensive side of the ball because that's where I thought that they were going to have their issues. But they performed very well. They were right there at the end of the game. And honestly, they, they could have won it had, you know, uh, Jordan Howard made that catch got in the end zone. The world was introduced to the human joystick, Tariq Cohen, all five, six of him, 179. And that 179 is very, very generous. Tariq Cohen had 17 touches, uh, 17 uh, excuse me, I should say 13 touches. He had 12 targets and five carries. So 17 times they looked his way and he led the team in both receiving and rushing, both receiving and rushing. So I don't think Tariq Cohen's going to have an output like that again for the rest of the season. So don't expect that fantasy guys out there, but he is certainly worth a look, especially in situations when they're trailing. He's going to be somebody they want on the field in those on those short and intermediate routes who can catch the ball and make something happen afterwards. What really impressed me about the Bears, and I know the narrative, Matt Ryan on the road, regression, uh, no Shanahan at the helm calling the offensive plays, was the defense. They had a ton of injuries last season, uh, biggest of all probably to their middle linebacker, Jarrell Freeman. He bounces back. He's got 10 tackles. In this game, and they do a really good job of limiting what Atlanta can do. Matt Ryan got his; he got his 300 yards. But in the rushing attack, you're not going to find a better duo than Freeman and Coleman. And they went for a combined 53 yards in this game. So a very staunch defensive game from the Bears. And if they can play that kind of stingy defense and also be somewhat competent. On offense, I mean, Glennon wasn't amazing, but he was certainly fine enough. The Bears seem like a team that, if they keep losing outright and covering, they might be a darling for us this season, DP. I'm totally in. I can totally see us buying into that. Um, Yeah, I mean, we love those darlings, don't we? I mean, look at the card this week. Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we're not really about uh, picking amazing teams. The other cover that we got... I mean, circled this one for months. Nearly got the win outright as eight-and-a-half-point dogs. The Browns played amazing, DP. Amazing on defense. I mean, save for a blocked punt, which happened in the first quarter. Cleveland outplayed this team, right? I definitely think the Browns outplayed the Steelers. I mean, very much like I didn't think the Atlanta Falcons offense was humming with all those weapons that they have and how touted that they are. Um, I, I felt the same way with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, yeah, they kind of came on towards the end of the game. Specifically, Antonio Brown came on towards the end of the game. I mean, he did have a nice stat booster when he caught that crazy wild deep ball that was thrown his way. Um, but, uh, yeah, I didn't think B- Big Ben was really in sync with anyone other than than Jesse James, who who looked really good. Uh, I mean, Le'Veon Bell didn't, didn't really do much at all. Where the heck was Martavius Bryant? I mean, a lot of people, myself included, were pretty high on Martavius Bryant uh, coming into the fold this year. Um, you know, being able to catch some big balls downfield. I mean, Antonio Brown's going to get his. He's always going to get his. You just kind of have to hope that he doesn't get his too much. Um, and and I think that that worked. Uh, but on the other side of the ball, I mean, the Browns' defense played extremely well. They were swarming. They were all over the field. They were making huge tackles. I mean, every time that they tackled a Pittsburgh Steelers player, there was five, six uh, Cleveland Browns around them. On the other side of the ball, Deshaun Kaiser, he played really well. I mean, he is a rookie. He is going to have... 
um, you know, some growing pains and he definitely has some of that, but he's mobile. He's able to move around and sling it. And I was very happy with his play as well. Really brutal drop by Kenny Britt late in the game, uh, on a, he broke in over the middle and would have been a big third down conversion, uh, and just drops it right in the bread basket. Brutal drop. It, it was so bad. Hugh Jackson yesterday talked about even <laughs> benching Kenny Britt for their upcoming game. Uh, because he he played so poorly, he only caught one ball on three targets, and that drop was was about as bad as it gets. And you said it right there about the defense. There, swarming is the optimal word. Every time they threw one of those bubble screens to Antonio Brown or any of those swing routes to some of their playmaking receivers on the outside, there were five Cleveland Browns there. Uh, and and that might be more so studying the tape than athletic ability. It seemed like they were right there every time the Steelers tried to run one of their patented short plays. Now, Antonio broke one or two, as he's one to do. He's probably the best receiver in the league, especially with the ball in his hands. But an unbelievable effort for the Browns. And they're not going to have as many coverage assignments as difficult as covering Antonio Brown on those short slants and, and bubble routes. So this this instills confidence in me. And I'm very, like the Bears, I'm almost happy that the Browns lost outright because I'm very interested in their prospects moving forward. I'm not sure about this week. We're going to talk about some lines, early lines that we're interested in later. I'm not sure about this week. I think on the road at Baltimore is tough. I think Baltimore is one of those places where home field is is real, right? We assign three points to every home team it, it, just as... Uh, practice. It, it's something that's been burned into us, and we, we do it regardless of who the team is. But I think Baltimore is one of those home teams where there is a little bit more of an edge when they play uh, at home. And first road game for Deshaun Kaiser, Ravens defense looked amazing against Cincinnati on, on Sunday. I can actually see people being interested in the 7.5 because it is it is above a touchdown but I'm going to be afraid to uh, to line up and and get on the Browns next week, personally. I'm with you. Uh, I would I would love to like this game, um, but it's going to be hard to like this game uh, in terms of the way that we rank our cards. I may be on the Browns, but it may be you know a one or two pointer. So two two and one for the collective. That means two and a half points in the super contest, which puts us above average. The average point total this week was one point. Nine nine. I'll go ahead and round that up to two. Give you guys a tenth of a point. Uh, one person didn't submit their card. Great job. Uh, Hundred and fifteen people went zero and five. That's brutal. Nine went five and zero. DP twenty went four zero and ones. The biggest story though was the consensus. Whoo boy. What a brutal week. The top six consensus picks went 0-6. The top nine went 1-7-1. DP, we got off to a sluggish start, but drawing very live with how poor the entire contest did. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Rich, uh, you know, you called it uh, on one of the earlier podcasts that we've had. Vegas Revenge Tour, right? I mean, the consensus... I mean, it's if you look at this leaderboard on fantasysupercontest.com, I see nothing but red at the top. I mean, they are Vegas is out for blood. I mean, they absolutely 
uh, you know, they got, they got murdered. I mean, let's just let's just be honest about it. The, the top four most popular teams, uh, they were each selected by more than 800 teams in the Super Contest. Um, I mean, the Bengals led the way. They didn't score a point. Uh, they got blown out on, on home turf. Um, yeah, and it was it was it was horrible. I mean, they were there was big favorites. Uh, you had the 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 Falcons were, were big favorites up there. The the Houston Texans were also big favorites. Um, both of them, uh, well, the Falcons won uh, and didn't cover by half a point. But the Texans, man, how's that narrativeville, Rich? I mean, you were all about that narrativeville. I should have stuck to my gun. Should have stuck to my Jags or goat take yeah you come out with this whole this whole jags phenomenon thing about how they're going to win the division they're going to do this they're going to do that they just need a quarterback and they can make the super bowl and then you're like nope narrative hill well yeah i i rule of natural disaster but rule, <laughs> rule of natural disaster didn't come through i don't know yeah, well, I, the texans were a natural disaster yeah. on the field As, what's amazing about all of that is that tom savage goes out plays a very bad half of football then deshaun watson comes in of course here comes the rook, gets super excited. He at least goes down and scores a touchdown. By the way, Houston, PFF graded Deshaun Watson worse than Tom Savage. You guys are screwed. It's a wrap. Bengals. I mean, I, I was I was I was a little bit shocked um that to see how much people were against Tom Savage. I mean, it's week one, right? And the offensive line was playing about as bad as you could play. And when that happens, your quarterback has no shot whatsoever. I mean, so what are you going to do? Agreed. And and B.O.B., Bill O'Brien, talked about this post-game. He said it wasn't really Tom Savage's fault. The the hook came, and, and Bill O'Brien's known to have a quick hook. The hook came, and it was almost... And O'Brien's pretty sharp. I, I think he's done some silly things, but his reasoning with a lot of things, and I like his openness as well, has always impressed me. He made the point like, look, if we can't block anybody, we need somebody back there that can move. And t- look, Tom Savage makes Tom Brady look like Mike, Mike Vick. Like, this dude is slow. And if you're not blocking, if you're not protecting, and he can't get out of the pocket at all, the guy's going to get killed. So from that perspective, putting in Watson is pretty sharp. But I wouldn't be surprised if they went back to Savage. Look, if, if Watson wasn't the week one starter, that means the Texans aren't confident with him leading this football team. He's not ready yet. And well, well Bill O'Brien runs that he runs a, a pretty advanced scheme. I mean, that's why Brock Osweiler, you know, was never able to pick it up. It's similar to the scheme that the Patriots run. I mean, Bill O'Brien came out of the the, the Patriots coaching staff and he transitioned it to uh, the Houston offense. And that was always one of the things that I've always been reading about Tom Savage and why he's able to pick it up because he's been there the longest and he's able to, you know, go through his reads and his progressions like you need to in that offense at an adequate level. Um, you know, Watson is just going to kind of go in there. He's going to be like the guy in the Wild Wild West, just running around, slinging it. You're going to see a lot of really cool, flashy plays that look fun, but they're probably have, you know, totally opposite of what was actually drawn up. He's just kind of winging it. He's calling audibles. So who really knows how close he was to the playbook and how much Bill O'Brien kept him at bay or just said, hey, kid, you know, I'm pulling Savage, go out there, have fun, and just wing it. And to your point, none of it matters if you can't block. You know, Savage can know the playbook in and out. He could see plays in his sleep, see coverages in his sleep. But if the guy's in front of him, you know, can't pass block, none of it matters. You might as well get Watson out there, try to run around and make something happen. But uh, Ten and a half sacks. The winner, yeah, the winner in all this was Dwayne Brown. Left tackle for the Texans is holding out. And uh, I could just imagine him watching this game on Sunday. 
Back the Brinks truck up, baby. Dwayne Brown's getting paid. Dwayne Brown's getting paid by somebody. It might, it might not be the Texans, although they probably need to look at themselves in the mirror and say, we got to protect somebody. Get Dwayne back here, but somebody's going to be paying that man to protect quarterbacks in uh, in professional football. Uh, but yeah, Bengals by piles on Thursday night. Short week. I mean, if they go to Watson, you've got a rookie, inexperienced quarterback, doesn't know the playbook. Team's really not confident with him. They didn't make him the week one starter. All of a sudden, they got to go on the road, short week, banged up to play a team that just got embarrassed at home by a division rival. The Bengals are going to be out for blood. And uh, I, I see Thursday night being an absolute bloodbath in favor of Cincinnati. Yeah, I would I would lean to agree, but rule of Thursday night football, I honestly have no idea what <laughs> yeah. to expect. And and after watching that Bengals performance in week one, I'm I they're just you know, they're back to being the pussycats with some orange and black paint because wow. those guys are just I, I, I put I mean, you guys kept telling me on the podcast last week, why are you so high on the Bengals, Donnie? Yeah. You always hate the Bengals. Yeah. I do. And I should have stuck to my guns because the Bengals are a damn joke. We tried. We tried. And Ravens defense. I mean, I, I questioned it in a, most of the preseason, rule of Harbaugh, rule of Ravens defense. And at the at the eleventh hour, I listened to Burt Minotti, the goat, the god, and I changed my pick. And you should have listened to your gut as well, kiddo. I mean, yeah, I should have just, I still would have picked the Bengals. I should have just put them as the 25th pick on my card. You brought up fantasysupercontest.com, which I omitted, and I'm glad you did. If you guys are looking for a way to sweat the world's greatest sports betting contest in the collective, you have to go to fantasysupercontest.com. They have real-time scores on Sundays. They have every pick in the entire contest. They have weekly record counts. They have stats for whether or not you picked winners on Monday night football, Sunday night football, away games, home dogs, road dogs, home favorites. All of it is there. Go to fantasysupercontest.com. They have a mini game as well that you can participate in if you didn't have an opportunity to shell out the 1500 needed to play. That is fantasysupercontest.com. Sweat the collective at fantasysupercontest.com. I just want to say that one of the th- best things, if even if you're not in the Super Contest and you just like betting on sports and you listen to this podcast, Fantasy Super Contest allows you to tail anyone going into the Sunday games. Yeah, so if you think somebody get on that, and you can you can follow trends. You can see who's winning, who's losing, what sort of bets. You know, our home dog is doing good this year. Our away team is straight up doing better. That sort of thing, and you can just find it all and put some money on it. Yeah, if you think. The homie thanks Satoshi, who maybe I guess by name is leading the super contest because there's multiple five and zero. If you think he's you know the sharpest dick in the West, and you want to tail him, go ahead. Or if you think the consensus is going to continue to shit the bed, fade it. <laughs> go on Saturday at 12 p.m. Uh, Pacific time. Look at the Lions and say, you know what? Last week the consensus top six was 0 six. I'm going to fade everyone. Go for it. It's it's literally all there. So to Donnie's point, you don't even need to be in the contest to take advantage of the information. You can use it for your own betting ventures, your your office pool, anything like that. So it is an unbelievable resource uh, for, for any type of NFL action that you may be in on Sunday. Uh, there is one contestant that we should talk about, DP, and that is the returning champ coffee maker himself. How did he fare in week one? 
Yeah, Damon Graham. Uh, last year, he won combined more than nine hundred thousand uh, dollars from his two entries. His two entries are named the same this year as they were last year. So if you do go to fantasysupercontest.com, you can just look for Pops two thousand eight for one of his cards, and then uh, Pops three two eight four for one of his other uh, or for his other cards. Sorry. Um, so I want to just so last year he started out uh, three and two. So the fact that we went two, two and one, it's not over, right? Uh, at week three, he was eight and seven. Uh, in week five, he was 13 and 12. So you can have sort of a mediocre start to the super contest and then just go on a run towards the second half of it and, you know, really go on to win. So uh, both of uh, his cards this week, um, they went three and two. So he had on one card, he had the the Eagles, the Lions, and the Ravens as his winning picks. And then uh, the losing picks on that card were the Titans and the Seahawks. And uh, one of the things that Graham does, and he did it last year as well, is he likes to share very similar cards. Uh, you know, he only deviates with one or two picks on each card uh, leading up to the final week. Uh, last year, actually, when he won, he picked five games one way and then he picked the same five games but he picked them the other way so one card went five and oh that allowed him to win the other card went oh and five it did cash but for a very uh, nominal amount uh on his other card um he had the panthers uh as his different winning pick he also had the eagles and the lions on that card so he shared those two wins uh he had the titans again so they were another loss for him and then he had the falcons as the other loss so Looking over at the Super Contest Gold 5K winner take all, ballsiest betting contest. While the Super Contest may be the world's greatest, the five the five K Super Contest Gold is the ballsiest. Well, let's just get ninety dudes together, fire off five K, and just give it to the winner. <laughs> it's amazing. That's just that's just it seems. I mean, I get it. It's rake free. It's fun, but it. For winner take all, it seems kind of nuts. It's insane. Uh, nobody went perfect. Two records for 0 and 1. Lightning two and bulldozer two. So I guess needed two entries in this thing. Uh, they both pushed with Denver last night. A very salty push. They should have been five and 0. Um, the average point total on that a little sharper than the regular super contest. Two point three one. So shading towards that two two and one that we went you can also follow that on fantasysupercontest.com all right dp let's take an early look at next week you gotta get back on the horse kiddo oh four and one i didn't get an opportunity to really rib you on this show i kind of want the collective to be there with me to to be you know to so we can gang up on you as a whole and, and make fun of you but oh four and one really need you Bring back it. on the horse really need you kiddo you're usually the one to get off to a fast start so Going to need you in week two. Any early lines that you are interested in? Uh, I mean, I, I got to like my Patriots. I mean, I know, Rich, we talked briefly before we hopped on the show, and you are on the other, you might be on the other side, but I just this feels just like the rule of New England, the rule of Bill Belichick. They're going to bounce back. They are a, a good team, a good enough team to be able to bounce back. Um, I mean, they they may need to bounce back in the form of winning the game fifty four to to thirty four, but I think they're going to bounce back. I like where the lines at. Um, uh, I've been looking at uh, the Vegas lines. Um, you see, this one is is around uh, four and a half to five in most places in Vegas. So hopefully that's where it comes in on the super contest, and it's not more like you know six and a half or seven because I think that that would be too high. I was really looking forward to going into to last night is. 
the Saints putting up a decent enough performance that the spread would be closer because the Patriots sucked on Thursday. So, you know, you always try and look for, for some, some opposite trends as to what happened the week before because the public tends to buy in one way or another and really overreact to things. I'm looking at your boy Eli. What is this line? Why are, why are the Giants a point and a half better than Detroit? Detroit, I, I forgot to bring this up. I wanted to ask you your biggest surprise team from week one. It was Detroit for me. I've been shitting on this team all offseason. They were objectively the luckiest team in the league last year. They outperformed their win total, projected win total, by 4.4, which is insane. They were last in defense DVOA. And I'm not ready to throw all of that out the window because of one performance against Carson Palmer with a different haircut, a.k.a. Uh, or Jay Cutler with a different haircut, a.k.a. spoiler alert, Carson Palmer. I'm, I'm not ready to give up all of that, but the Lions defense looked competent. The offense, holy shit. Not, not only are they doing the dink and, duff, dink and dunk stuff that works, that Jim Bob Cooter has installed and, and made Matt Stafford's life a lot easier, but I guess with the addition of Kenny Galladay, Stafford is back in a little bit of DGAF mode. He was taking some deep shots, successful deep shots, and against the Giants, who couldn't move the ball at all on Sunday night, why are the Giants a point and a half better than Detroit? Can you explain that to me, DP? Do you have any idea? Uh, just, I think, you know, standard public perception. I think that people are going to, you know, jump on the fact that the, the Giants, you know, they have they have a good history, a good record. People view Eli as, as a good quarterback with two Super Bowl rings, um, that he's going to return home. They're going to bounce back just fine. Um, and then I think on the other side of the ball, people are surprised, pleasantly surprised about the Lions. But I think too many people will slow their roll right away and say, you know, it is the Lions. They tend to do this every now and then. They look really good at home. Everyone sort of buys in. They pick them as, you know, the team to make the leap, make the playoff run, that sort of thing. And then they totally just crap the bed. So I think it's just that it's a it's a Detroit versus the New York Giants thing. I mean, that's just really what it comes down to to me. So, if you can't, we, we talked about this with Houston. We didn't talk to, about Packers Seahawks at all. But if you can't pass block, if you can't, if your offensive line can't hold up, you're not going to have any success in this league. It's just not going to happen. And I can't see again. Russell Wilson can kind of make it work because he can break the pocket and make things happen. And even he was running for his life against the Packers, which, you know, don't really have the best defensive line in the world, but he can at least escape and make plays and get the ball out. But Eli is a statue. Like, this guy's not making plays. And if, if they can't block from him, if that right tackle, I don't even know the guy's name, but he got beat like a rag doll on Sunday night. If he is... As big a leak as that this season, you can't be laying an additional one and a half points with this team. I'm sorry. I, I don't care if Odell Beckham, if they clone him thrice and they go four wide to four Odell Beckham juniors. I don't care. It's just, it's not going to work if you can't block for Eli. So I'm. Well, they also can't run. That's always been an issue with the Giants is that their run game is basically non-existent, at least in, in the more recent years. And if you're not going to be able to to run, I mean, I, listen, I'm I'm big proponent for an all passing attack but it, i just i don't think that they get it i mean they sh- they should be able to just line up in the shotgun and just go nuts with all the weapons that they have but 
they can't seem to figure that out. But then on the other side, they can't seem to really run the ball any with any sort of success whatsoever. So that just puts Eli in these really weird spots. And it's just, it's a mess. It's honestly a mess. Especially when you're three wide so frequently. How can you not have success running the ball when the entire defense is spread out? All you need is a couple lanes to get some positive yards. And they can't do that correct. That line bewilders me. So, and I have... Donnie, I don't know if you know, but I had the first pick this week. I was the only person with a winning record on the collective. So, oh, so who are you going with? I got my eyes on that game. I don't know. There's a, there's a couple games that I'm interested in at the moment. There's a favorite I'm interested in. My other, uh, my other team. My I had two real loves in the off season of ugly teams. Both got big wins, but I think they won by like a combined seventy points. No joke on Sunday in the uh, the Rams and Jaguars. So. Rams short home favorites against Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins against that vaunted Wade Phillips defense. That's that seems like it could be a party, DP. Yeah, it could be a party for me on the other side, though. Because mm. I've been looking at that one. Back, that seems like your typical back on the cousins train. <laughs> stock high, stock low uh game. You know, I mean, granted, it is it's only week two, so let's not go too crazy. We don't have any sort of sample size whatsoever, but Listen, the Rams would would they win forty six to seven? But they they played the Colts, who yeah. had Scott Tolzien and then had Jacoby Brissett, who they just added to their roster four days ago or something like that. So I I don't put really any sort of stock into that Rams victory. I mean, if they didn't blow out the Colts, I mean that not that they needed to win by nearly forty points, but if they didn't win by at least two touchdowns, I would have really been worried about, about this Rams team and everything that we've talked about leading up to this season. They did what you're supposed to do, though, against Scott Tolzien and the Colts, which is always a good sign. We, we talk about beating the piss out of bad teams is a good notion of a good team, right? Not not eking out the, the six-point win, but beating them to a pulp. You, you do got me worried there with stock high, stock low, and I just pulled up the spread.com. 62% laying points with the Los Angeles Rams. I'm officially scared, DP. Yeah, I mean, people are just, people just, I think people generally hate the Washington Redskins. Um, and, and the fact that they're now going to have to go on the road after they just lost at home, they did not look good on the offensive side of the ball. People are going to be very much higher on the, the LA Rams and what they did and the points that they were able to put up. And if you look at any sort of the stat sheets out there, if you just fl- fly over to NFL.com and look at the stat section, you know, you have Todd Gurley's up there. You have their wide receivers are up there with Cooper cup who had a really, really good game. Um, you know, Jared Goff is even up there a bit. So, you know, you're going to see all these, these little things that say, Hmm, maybe the Rams have turned it around under the new coach. Maybe, maybe they've, maybe they've sort of, maybe Jared Goff's, you know, his freshman year is, you know, now his sophomore year is much better. Who knows? Maybe it was the whole Jeff Fisher thing, and that guy just sucked as the head coach. But uh, I think we have to just look at the fact that they played a Chuck Pagano-led Colts team um, who had a second stringer who shouldn't even really be on an NFL roster, let alone backing anyone up, and then a third stringer come in uh, and bail him out. So, so yeah, I'm not I'm not going to be exactly running to the to the window with uh, all of my reserve funds trying to bet on the Rams here. I'm actually going to be looking at the other side. I'm officially scared of the Lions too. 83%, 83%. Like the Lions on the points, nothing worse. Nothing worse than a public dog, boys and girls. So now I officially have no idea what I like next week. Uh I, I, told- I mean the Lions are your, they're your typical team that will 
show up, blow doors in one week, and then, and then just blow dicks. <laughs> not even be existent on the field. They will look like Rancho Cucamonga High School, blowing their own, like blowing their own dicks all over the field. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're your. St- that's that's why there's such a love hate with that team. I mean, they will put up tons of numbers, but then they will totally suck the next week. Uh, I gave my surprise from last week, which was Detroit. I thought they, I, I really thought they played well against Arizona, and I was surprised at how much they opened up the offense and attacked downfield. Kenny, Kenny Galladay just looked like an absolute beast in his first first performance in the league. Did let's wrap it up on this one. Did any team surprise you? I know, I know you said it earlier. Sample size small. We don't want to overreact to week one, but there, were there any teams that surprised you in the first week of the season? Uh, honestly, I thought the, the Oakland Raiders surprised me a bit. Uh, I mean, I didn't watch too much of that game. I'll need to go back and, and fly, fly through some of the, the condensed version, but, uh, they looked much better than I had thought. Um, a lot of the teams sort of looked like I had anticipated that they would look, um, in, in a, you know, a more 50,000 foot view general sense. Uh, the Raiders, I thought coming into the season, you know, they're going to take a huge step back. Marshawn Lynch is over the hill. He hasn't been playing football in a while. I don't see how that guy steps in and does anything, but he did. He did much better than expected. Um, I mean, some of this is obviously on the fact that the Titans didn't get their crap together and, and played pretty, pretty shitty uh, in that game. But uh, yeah, I was, I was actually very surprised with, with the Raiders and I figured, you know, they may be getting a little bit of a hangover from last year and all the success that they had, but it looked like Derek Carr stepped right in. Uh, to the to the form, or, or at least as close as possible to it, that he was at last year, and I was I was very surprised with him. So they're going to be a team that I'm going to need to look at going forward and say, hey, maybe I was wrong in terms of them having a step back, uh, and I'm going to need to look at them continuing to to be a really really good team uh, going forward in the AFC when when the AFC is generally void of, of any sort of good team. So if the Raiders can can play like this and continue that momentum over from the pre Derek Carr injury of last year. I mean, they're going to be a force in the AFC. If last week wasn't the week against what last year was the fifth best offensive line per DVOA, at least in terms of uh, rush rushing plays, this is certainly the week for the Raiders defense. They get Cade McNown and the Jets at home. If you are streaming defense, which you should in fantasy football, walk, don't walk, run to the waiver wire and put in a bid for the Raiders defense this week. They're going to eat at home against this porous Jets defense. Get Oakland in your lineup. More fantasy advice will come to you on Thursday for our DFS show. Might be some correlation plays there with the Raiders defense and Marshawn Lynch. Hint, hint. And then Friday, we'll be back to give you our picks. Follow Donnie on Twitter at Donnie underscore Peters. I'm at Rich T. Ryan, we'll see you later this week. Peace out.